we wanted to actually take a moment in the episode. Uh, we 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 lost a really amazing educator and liturgist with the death of the Reverend Dr. Lewis Weil, who was a professor for all of us when we were at Church Divinity School of the Pacific. For me personally, every time I'm at the altar, I think of him and I think about how I move and what I'm doing and what I'm not doing and uh, and those sorts of things and what that means to designing what true liturgy is, right? The work of the people. We were lucky enough to be among his last students. I think that he left CDSP probably. I think that his official term there as the chair of the liturgics department ended in 2009, which is the year that I graduated. He had an incredible impact, I think, on our community as a seminary. He was part of sort of this literally passing generation of um, seminary professors who had a particular understanding of what the seminary community was as a worshiping community. I remember once somebody visited me in my parish in Omaha, uh, in the first parish that I served there, who had gone to CDSP and studied under Lewis. And they came up to me later and they said, you preside the way that I do. This sounds a little bit precious, except for it's not. This is what I want to say that the education that I received from Lewis literally lives in my body. Mm-hmm. Like the way that I experience the Eucharist as a presider is expressed through my actions behind the altar. And those actions were taught to me, not as a performance, but as a prayer by a liturgist who is incredibly thoughtful imparting that wisdom so rest in peace, Lewis Weil. Rest yeah. in peace, rise in glory. Happy National Garden Month, everyone. This is Liz, and here's what we're growing in the Popping Collars feed for April 2022. It's our own Popping Collars Farmer's Market this month, as Betsy, Greg, Ricardo, and I are sharing our favorite genres of pop culture with our first ever pop swap. Hear what we assigned each other to watch and what we really think about each other's pop culture taste. We're loading up the pickup and hitting the road on a new episode of The Canon as our esteemed panel draft their favorite road trip movies. Betsy and Greg will need some extra pesticide on this month's Going on 30 when they discuss the Warren Beatty and Annette Bening classic, Bugsy. Finally, Dan Jocelyn Simatowski and Greg bring in a huge harvest 108 years in the making when they discuss the relationship between marriage and the World Series win for the 2016 Chicago Cubs. Thanks for listening and remember to give your plants lots of water, sunlight, and popping collars pods to keep their leaves green, their fruit ripe, and their collars popped. Hi, everybody. My name is Ryan Daniel Dobson. I am the writer-director of the new movie, Hosea. Come check out my episode where we talk about the movie and all the themes rotating around it. And you are listening to Popping Collars. Welcome to Pop and Collars, the podcast that lives at the intersection of faith, religion, whatever, and popular culture. Um, I'm one of your hosts, Betsy Carmody, here in beautiful Alexandria, Virginia, where it is spring break, and I am just 
laid back, sitting back, enjoying my time, filling it with podcast recordings today. So that's that's what I'm up to. But I'm joined today by my three beautiful co-hosts. Let's start up in my upper left corner here. Let's go with Ricardo. Ricardo, where are you? What are you up to? Hey, I never go first for anything. Thank you, Betsy. Yay. I'm Ricardo Avila. I am the rector of St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Los Gatos, California. And um, I don't have much to say. I, I never do very well in these intro paragraphs. So I think I'll just kind of cut my losses immediately and say it's good to be on the show. Fabulous. Short but sweet. We'll remember that later when you have five things to say. All right. Let's now go to Greg. Greg, where are you? What are you up to? Hey, Betsy. My name is Greg Knight. I work as the Associate for Christian Formation at the Church of Bethesda by the Sea in Palm Beach, Florida. You know what's on my mind is that I've got a pretty good run going over the last few years of watching all the Oscar-nominated movies each year. Mm-hmm. And I've done pretty good this year. I've gotten eight, eight out of ten. And uh, one of them I watched today, and I can tell you, without having seen the final two on the list, that it is the best movie of all the ones that are nominated. And that is a movie called Drive My Car, which is available on Home Box Office Maximum right now. Um, It is fabulous. It's beautiful and lovely. And I highly recommend it. So if you get a chance, watch Drive My Car. It's really really good yeah i've scrolled out in the middle of power of the dog and have not gotten back to it so you know i'm now distracted by many other things all right last but not least lizzie Stem. where are you how you doing Hey, Betsy, I'm good. I am in Omaha, Nebraska, where I am the canon to the ordinary for the Diocese of Nebraska. I don't know when this episode will air, but we're recording it in Lent. That's happening. That's a thing. I reported on our last podcast that my Lenten discipline was to write a poem a day, and I'm doing it. My My little poetry book is right here. And um, it's so hard. It's a very Linton gray color. You've really gone austere on that book there. It's really hard. So if I'm distracted, it's because I know that before I go to bed tonight, I have to write a damn poem. Ooh, will you write a poem (laughs) about us? Could it be about us? Yeah. It could be. Maybe it's about what we're going to talk about tonight. Maybe. I hope so. So I'm always looking for inspiration. There we go. There we go. All right. So so tonight's for for our podcast this episode... Uh, I kind of I, I stole like an artist, which is a book that a colleague of mine recommended to me called Steal Like an Artist. And it's really about looking at things that you love uh, and borrowing them and giving them credit for it. So I'm giving credit to the podcast. Keep it. Uh, they've done a couple of segments on their podcast where they have assigned each other, perhaps pop culture blind spots, perhaps things that you might love, that you know that your friend, whenever you bring it up, some sort of genre of thing, of music, of movies, of TV, of books, whatever it is, and they are like, listen, not my game, not interested in it. Or maybe something that you have pretended that you have watched before, but have never actually viewed. (laughs) So we have done a kind of round-robin style, and we've given each other assignments heading into tonight's episode. And we have experienced whatever that assignment was coming in, and now we're ready to chat about it. So I don't kind of know how we want to do the bag, Greg. Is the bag going to draw who was the the giver? Hang on. I'm in the wrong room. Hang on. (sighs) Wow. We'll get to that. Uh, Okay. 
Um, so okay. I don't know how we want to do the bag tonight, Greg. Is the bag going to draw the person who was either the consumer or the person who was giving the popular culture to the person? What do you want to do? If I could make a suggestion. Yes, please. My vote would be that the person selected from the bag uh, represent the person who received okay. the Excellent. piece of pop culture. Yes. I think uh, reception is very that. important. Receiving yeah. gifts from others. I'm all for it. I think that's, that's great. All right. Who we got? Better to receive than to get clinky. That's right. I'm trying to pick Ricard. I did. I did it. I did it. <laughs> it's two firsts in a row. That's it's awesome. Ricardo. Oh, thank you, stars in heaven, for aligning. All right, so who who was your assigner, Ricardo? Who who assigned you? Oh, Liz. Liz Easton, canon to the ordinary. Mm. All right, uh, so wait, what do ha- you mean Liz Easton, the leader of the Lizarati? Yes. 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 Yeah. <laughs> so, so Liz, what did you assign to Ricardo? I'm going to be real honest. I'm going to kind of put you behind the scenes a little bit. This is how our conversation went. Ricardo called me and he's like, I need you to assign me something. Ricardo is a known procrastinator. I'm going to be honest with you. So am I a little bit. So we were like, we're going to get this done. Okay. So I couldn't really think of a movie. And I, he said he didn't want to watch TV And then I assigned him just the first two or three episodes of Friday Night Lights. And he was like, great. Okay. Okay. Great. And our conversation continued. And then he said, you know, I'm house sitting for a place that has um, Apple TV, Apple plus. Um, What if you assign me Ted Lasso? Oh, okay. So, cause he wanted to watch Ted Lasso Mm -hmm. and I still still sports oriented, still sports oriented show. I love Ted Lasso and I just actually finished the last episode of the second season the other day. I just think it's one of the best shows I've watched in years. It has just been a gift to me from God. So I'm very glad that he suggested it. I assigned it days later. I get a text from Ricardo. Can you assign me something else? And I was like, no, no, I cannot. It is Ted Lasso or nothing. And now I can't wait to hear what you thought. Well, thank you for that behind the scenes uh, <laughs> snippet there. I do want to say that when we were having our conversation to figure out, and she said Friday Night Lights and all that, I was walking uphill towards the house where I'm house sitting. And so I was panting. Okay, that's fine. We, we agreed that I'd only need to watch a few episodes and also of Ted Lasso. But, um, you know, I watched the whole first season and I watched the first episode of season two. I love Ted Lasso. Oh, I love it. And here's the thing. I mean, I'd heard about it because it won all like the Emmy Awards and things. You know, it was like like when Modern Family won all of its awards. It was like the new Modern Family winning the Emmys. And I have a little crush on Jason. I don't know how to say his name. Sudeikis? Sudeikis. Sudeikis. And so I thought because of all the hype around the show and it talked about how it's it's so it's so um what was the word groundbreaking or something? I thought, Oh my God, this is going to be some really philosophical, deep show about like how to be kind in the world or something. Well, it's a comedy. It's a, it's a comedy with heart. And Mm -hmm. it's interesting because uh, we had an episode on this podcast back when about how uh, I didn't like star Wars and it was all because people had hyped it up so much that when I finally watched it, I was like, what? 
Well, I started to have that with this, but then in the episode, there's an episode around episode five or so where Ted has a panic attack. Ted. Ted. It's okay. It's okay. Try to breathe. I can't, I can't. I can't. I don't know what's going on. I'm, I'm sorry. It's okay. You're having a panic attack. Just breathe. I'm going crazy. No more than anyone else. And that turned it around for me because he's this super optimistic character and you just, you can't get him down. And he steps into this situation where everybody hates him and calls him a wanker. And, but he brings that love and I'm not going to let anything get me down. And I'm going to love on everyone and be kind and bring the lovely biscuits to my boss every day and all that stuff. And he wins people over gradually. And that was fine. And that was fun. And I was enjoying it. But when he has his own panic attack and I, then it just got a little deeper for me all of a sudden. And I thought there's more going on here. It's a great show because it is optimistic and sweet and lovely without being cloying. I think it's, it's really quite nice. And what Liz told me a little backstage stuff is Liz said that she thought it might be a good model for leadership. If you see Ted Lasso and how he is on the show and how he inspires other people just with his goodness and helps them see the best in themselves. And, you know, he does, he starts the ripple effect. People start being nice to each other. And it's all because he, he plants these seeds of, kindness and thoughtfulness and it's a it's a little um idealistic to to think that anyone could actually be a ted lasso but there are aspects of him like inspiring other people to let their gifts shine when they think they're less than you know confronting bullies just forgiving people when they wrong you i'm interested though after you finish watching season two because things do kind of start to take a turn it's even better in season two. Season one is great, but that sort of like shiny idealism that you pointed to that feels unrealistic in season one has this like deeper expression in season two. And there's more serious things that come up and um, but still this wonderful sincerity, but it's not quite so goofy, I guess. And one of the things that I love about this show from a leadership perspective and just a relationship perspective is he is a goofball and he like says all these funny things and he takes his job really seriously and he's willing to make hard and unpopular decisions. He is good at it and he knows he's good at it and he wants to be better. And he also has this really like bubbly, goofy kind of personality. And that's a combination that is really attractive. So I do have a question now. Do we now start the round robin from here and Ricardo now, instead of being the receiver, becomes the assigner and then he passes it to the to to the person who he and then we then we go that way. What do we think? I think that's you. Is the bag offended? What's happening? Get rid of the bag. What are you doing? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying (laughs) there's anything wrong with the bag. Like the bag is sad. Oh, look how floppy the bag is. The bag so is sad. Crazy. He down. I'll 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 bite. I'll, I'll let's do we- it. Let's do it. So um, I assigned my uh, pop culture blind spot, I suppose. I, I assume to Betsy Carmody. Yes. And what I should I just say what what I was thinking? Do you have a reason? Do you have the list? Yes, the reason and the list. A whole list. 
it was a whole list. I, I had to pick. I, he'll explain. He'll explain. You know what? Thank you. I, I have it in my um, have it in my thing here. My texts. Yeah. Thing. Okay. You know, I was thinking, well, Betsy knows so much about pop culture right now, and I don't watch any of this stuff, and she knows all the shows. And what what could I possibly give her that she doesn't know, other than like Dostoevsky and Tolstoy, which mm-hmm. are a little a little bit long, a little hell long. hell to the no. Hell to the no right now. That is, does not give me spring break vibes. <laughs> so I thought, oh, maybe foreign films, because you had mentioned not knowing foreign films, and I didn't want to deal with that. So then I thought, you know, classic movies. And I went to my source for classic moviedom, William, who loves all that stuff. And I said, William, William, what should I assign Betsy? And he said, Casablanca. Okay. And I said, oh, but I've seen it. And he said, well... Casablanca or, and then we started talking. And so what happened was I gave Betsy a list of one, two, three, four, five, eight movies. Wow. I said, you have to watch one of them. This is my first choice. And if you've seen it, go to the second choice, then the third, until you find one you haven't seen. So should I just say the list, the list, say the list, do the list. First one was Casablanca from 1942. And if you've Great seen movie. that, then North by Northwest from 1959. And if you've seen that, then All About Eve from 1950. And if you've seen that, then Sunset Boulevard from 1950. And if you've seen that, Laura from 1944. And if you've seen that, Now Voyager from 1942. And if you've seen that, then Freaks from 1932. My God. I know. <laughs> Outline. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then lastly, if you've seen that, then Sunrise, which is a silent film, which is amazing from 1927. So um, that was the list. And I'm wondering how far down you got on the list. So I watched Casablanca. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is one of those movies where you've seen the most famous clips yeah. and you feel like you've watched it. Right. And it gives you that impression because it gets included in every montage. I'm also a, a watcher of you or a listener of you must remember this Karina Longworth podcast. Mm-hmm. And there is, you know, it's 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 Sam singing in, in every episode. I'm like, oh, yeah. So but then I'm thinking about it, I'm like, you know what? I've never watched this movie. I have probably pretended I've watched this movie Ooh. is probably I will admit my duplicity in that way. But um, but yeah, so so I watched it. I watched it, watched it today, watched it this afternoon here in my house. It's a really good film. Like I had a friend who was like, oh, I think it's so boring. And I'm like, really? I don't know. You know, and I'm like on Wikipedia looking up Casablanca during World War Two. And, you know, really all these people were it. And it's such this milieu of all these different people from of varying interests kind of trapped in this area. And it's taken them more money than they thought it would to get there. And now they can't leave. And they're all kind of trapped. And you can just feel the German storm just slowly kind of coming towards them. Everybody is trying to do what they have to do to survive while still being these incredibly intriguing characters. I mean, I I had not really, I don't think I've ever really watched a Humphrey Bogart movie. You know? (laughs) Good one. I mean, maybe I have, but I remember him older. Why did you have to come to Casablanca? There are other places. I wouldn't have come if I'd known that you were here. Believe me, Rick, it's true. I didn't know. It's funny about your voice, how it hasn't changed. I can still hear it. Richard, dear, I'll go with you any place. 
We'll get on a train together and never stop. Don't, Rick. I can understand how you feel. Uh, you understand how I feel. How long was it we had, honey? I didn't count the days. Well, I did. Every one of them. Mostly I remember the last one. The wow finish. A guy standing on a station platform in the rain with a comical look on his face because his insides had been kicked out. But to have him kind of younger here, more docile, and and everyone's always trying to, you know, diagnose Rick and decode Rick and who is he and what's he doing and what does he care about? There was a part of me at the end, though, yeah, this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship, you know, that these two are now going to go off and, you know, skip out and all this stuff. There was something that I wondered about that would have been, would I have liked it more if it was really like, well, the storm was now coming for Rick and he wasn't going to just skip off into the sunset and go get lost for a little bit because there was such a life and death thing happening for, you know, the the Victor Laszlo character. He was going to be put back. He was in a concentration camp. And this is a movie that was being released in 1942. Mm-hmm. And I wanted that. I almost wanted that threat to be out there for Rick. So that that's what he was really putting on the line, too. But overall, I really I thought it was a great film. And I'm so glad that you assigned it. So now you've in, you've intrigued me. You've opened a door for me, Ricardo. I'm so, so I can go watch some more things. Why did you pick this as the number one? of all of these movies that you could have gone to? Well, it was William's idea, of course, initially, but um, it really is probably in one of the top three slots for classic movies. I wouldn't, I don't want to say of all time because things change after like the sixties or whatever, but um, it's one of those classic Hollywood movies and it's, Mm -hmm. it's got all those lines you're talking about and it's topical, you know, it's, yeah. It was filmed, it's about World War II in Casablanca, which is in Morocco. Or it was, well, it's colonial, right? So it's unoccupied French Morocco is essentially, I think, where we are. Right. And it's all these trapped people, like you're right, they're trying to get exit visas to get away. Mm-hmm. And and um, I, there's just something poignant. I, I think I, I picked it because William said so. I figured you had seen it. So I was actually more interested in the other ones. Um, <laughs> But, um, but no, no, William caught me. But I think when yeah, you're right. And it is top. I mean, when I'm thinking about all these people trying to flee Ukraine and, you know, millions of people trying to leave people staying and resisting. I mean, it is it does have a very similar feeling of the GoFundMes I've seen, you know, for people trying to get their family members out and wondering what that would have. Casablanca situation would look like now. I think it would probably look fairly similar. Yeah, the the I mean, there's a lot uh, in this movie, and I, I'm curious when you talked about Rick sort of uh, walking off into the into the mist, right into, into the, the fog mist. at the end of the movie. I mean, you know, what is sort of poignant about that moment is that Rick has finally chosen a side. And it is that the, the storm is coming for Rick. It sort of yeah, feels yeah. like, you know, um, because he's not sort of playing the middle against the ends and he's not uh, looking to exploit people anymore. He's actually chosen what values he's going to side with. And it's a nice moment for the film, but you know, that, that fog that he's walking into is sort of the unknown uh, of what's going to happen. And, um, and, and, you know, I think it's great that you brought up the Ukraine thing because uh, you know, the, the, 
French national anthem scene, right? Where they stand mm. up to the Nazis and they yes. sing their anthem in their faces and stuff. You know, that's a little bit of kind of what we've seen over the last three weeks is this sort of, you know, you you can't take my country. You can't take my people. You can't take my yeah um, my way of life. And uh, and that's an amazing scene in that movie. I'm just about to tell you something that might make it even more amazing. Those French people in the movie singing the Marseillaise, I think that's what it is, the French national anthem, were actual French people who had, really? who had to leave or something. And so you see, when you see that scene, there are tears in some of their eyes because it was real. When wow. they overpower the Germans who are singing their whatever song and they sing their song, uh, it's people longing for a place they've had to flee. Mm. And Peter Lorre is in it. He is. I was watching him and I'm like, I know who that guy is. I know that guy. Yes. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. Thank you. Nice. All right. So I guess now it's me. Okay. So I actually had a hard time figuring out what to give Greg. Cause I wanted to do something British and procedural. Mm-hmm. And so it was really hard. Actually in retrospect, I was like, Oh, should I have, should I have given him um, Grant Chester? So it's the priest in the 1960s solving crimes just with the local constable. But we were trying to find something that, that you know, our behind the scenes was something that, that Greg could get to without having to get Acorn TV or BritBox. Because <laughs> we all know that some of my obsession runs a little bit deep. So... Um, so we ended up settling on uh, on Unforgotten, which is which is a great show. It's got some. I mean, again, there are these wonderful character actors and act and lead actors that that cross over in in a lot of different ways and uh, and end up on these shows. And so you know, the cast has you know Nicola Walker in it, who's absolutely amazing. She's in. She's she she's played good. She's played bad. She does it all. So you assigned so him the whole first season. Well, he said it's only six. It's only six episodes. Not a big deal. <laughs> so I don't know how far he actually got, to be honest with you. But um, I ripped anyway, it off in two days. Yeah. Right. So there he goes. All right. So, Greg, what did you think? So, OK, Betsy, I I appreciate your love of British procedurals. So I did the thing that I do every time I watch a British show is that I started watching it and then I just sort of constantly kept turning up the volume on, on the TV. <laughs> you got to put the, you got to put the closed captioning on Greg. Okay. You got to put the closed captioning on. <laughs> I don't know what it is about these British shows, but I just, I, I can never quite understand what they're saying. <laughs> I just always have to like turn it up. Closed captions, closed captions. Um, okay. So this, uh, like you said, this show starts off with a body um, being found in the cellar. And it turns out that it's a body that was put there 40 years ago. And so a cold case unit has to figure out um, who murdered this young man. Kind of like, as I can assume most of these British procedurals go, you're introduced to a variety of suspects right off, right out of the blocks, right? People who are sort of engaged in sketchy behavior. And so 
your mind is constantly like flicking back and forth. Like, okay, so what's wrong with this person? What's wrong with this person? What's wrong with this person? But they all actually have one thing in common that they all have wrong with them, which is one word repression. They're all repressed and they're all doing this sort of uh, song and dance to hide the sins that they've committed. Even if that means burying what it is that they've done deep down, well, literally burying in this case in the cellar, but in their subconscious burying it back into their minds. But that's what it's all about. It's like all of these things that we try to hide and we can't hide them. Like they all sort of bubble to the surface no matter how long it takes. Is a crime less serious because time's passed? It's a wrong, less wrong, because it was done 50 years ago, or 60, or 70. I think if people are still alive who are affected by it, or, or even if they remember people that were affected, I think a society has a responsibility to take it seriously, no matter how far back, no matter how old they are. You are very drawn to these procedurals. I'm just curious, like, what is it about them that is compelling to you? Like well, and, and typically it's not just about the crime, right? It's also about the lives of the detectives, whoever's doing the investigating, whoever the DCs and the DCIs. I've now learned so much about British law enforcement hierarchy watching these shows. So there's some mirroring going on there. And sometimes it's more obvious than than other times. My my sweet brother-in-law, he made a comment to my sister because we've been trading back and forth recommendations. And he's like, this just can't be another woe is me. My life sucks and I'm a cop show. <laughs> but I think what draws me to them is maybe that there's less of a kind of people going off the handle. Also, the scenery is very attractive. It's always in these in these very interesting, lovely and, you know, that. Anglophile and me interested in the British Isles. Seems like there's a lot of crime in Manchester and Yorkshire. I'm very concerned about those areas. But um, but it's like people who watch American shows like New York. Oh my God, what's happening there? Right. Las Vegas, there's so much crime. Anyway, I think I'm also drawn into watching another culture. You know, what are the normal days in, days out? This is not a show that's actually made for me as an American. So there are things that I have to kind of go and look up. So maybe it's that documentary side of me that likes the part of me that when I travel internationally, I like to go to grocery stores. I like to kind of be up in the. And so I'm imagining, oh, I'm just kind of like another British person watching the show. And like, I would know these things they're talking about. Like, what, And maybe that's why I love the closed captioning, A, because I don't always understand the accents. But B, it's like, I really want to catch it. I want to catch the dialogue. And they're shorter. It's not like, cause I think so many American procedurals are like, you know, it's like, you know, CSI or whatever. And it's just seasons and seasons and seasons of shows mm-hmm. and their seasons. You can have one crime and kind of more of a six episode arc self-contained. That's a season. And you feel like you're kind of moving through the show. Just specifically about unforgotten. That's something that this show does well is how do you live with the evil that you've done? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's a hard thing for folks yeah. to answer because we've yeah. all done things that we're ashamed of, but folks on this show have done things that are just straight up evil and have still lived their lives for 40 years. And so how mm-hmm. do you do that? Like, how do you push that so far back that it doesn't affect your daily life? I sometimes feel like, you know, watching Downton Abbey a little bit, what you were saying, you know, that these shows can be so mannered, you know, like, 
a British procedural is not just all the blood and gore and nasty, you know, sex crimes and stuff. Oh, oh, oh. I don't know. Actually, so I don't there's some it. of those. There's some of those. You can get your you can get your gore on if you really want to. It's out there. <laughs> okay, so I don't know, but my sense is that the what's interesting about British literature, maybe even, but br- the British shows like Downton Abbey that I've seen is, um, you get so stressed about like what she wore to the ball or something, or like how she's not speaking to her cousin, like the stakes, I don't know how they do it, but the British can make a big deal out of like what on the surface is like an inconsequential thing. British procedurals. British procedurals. All right, Greg. Uh, So I have a movie class that we do at my church where we watch a movie each week and then we discuss it call it theology and film. That's a little like pretentious a title for the class. It's really just talking about movies. And one of probably the most like beloved movie that we watched for our class was this obscure to me anyway, but it turns out to be an extremely popular Bollywood movie called PK, which is streaming on Netflix. Um, and for me, it was my first kind of foray into Bollywood. And I think it was for most of the folks in our class, but everyone sort of came away with a lot to talk about from it. Like it just had, it just spurred a lot of ideas and a lot of discussion. Uh, All this is to say that this was such a, like a big hit, like with my movie group at Bethesda that I was like, who do I trust with stuff like this? I know. I trust Liz Easton, the leader of the Lizerati, to tell me, is this something that we should be excited about or not? And so I said to Liz, check out this movie, PK. Tell me what your thoughts are. So Liz, what are your thoughts about PK? Thank you. Um, so this was also my first exposure to Bollywood at all. And let me tell you, it was two and a half hours long. Are all Bollywood films that long? I don't know. (laughs) I think that's short for a Bollywood film. So it was long. It was a real commitment. And, um, but I liked it. And I can see as I was watching it, your background is helpful because as I was watching it, I thought like, oh, this would be great for um, a church Christian ed forum or, you know, a class. Like there's a lot there. And Betsy, you just said that one of the reasons that you like British procedurals is because of the cultural aspect, like sort of living within another culture. I found myself thinking if this film were made for Americans, what would the primary religious conflict be? (laughs) So um, here's the premise. A spaceship. Well, first of all, Bollywood films have great production value. Mm-hmm. I guess I should know that, but I really didn't. So that was sort of a surprise right away. Like this is a highly produced, big budget film. Clearly. <laughs> A spaceship lands in the desert, drops off a naked guy. 
He looks like a totally jacked Mr. Bean, basically. If you picture <laughs> <laughs> like that kind of goofy face of Mr. Bean, where a lot of the comedy is just happening with his face, but just on like this ripped body. So that was interesting. So picture that guy going through and he has around his neck an amulet, which um, will summons his summon his spacecraft back to him when he's ready to go home to his planet. And um, unfortunately, his very first interaction with a human being on the planet Earth, the guy steals his amulet and now he's (gasps) stuck. Meanwhile, in Belgium. A romance happens between a young Hindu woman from India and who falls in love with a young Muslim man from Pakistan. And they fall in love with each other and her family disapproves because of the religious difference and they do not end up getting married. Mm. Then Mr. Bean <laughs> goes and Mr. shows up Bean. in... <laughs> Did you call him Mr. Jack? PK. The the alien's name is PK. <laughs> is that his name though? It's not. Uh, PK is the Indian word for drunk. Right. It's, they they, call keep, him they keep calling him drunk. They keep calling him tipsy. Yeah. Tipsy like, is what they call him in the um show. But I'm gonna call him Mr. Bean. Um <laughs> so then that young woman moves back to Delhi. She becomes a journalist. She meets Mr. Bean who is like trying to find his amulet basically. And it's just this whole saga, but here, but here's the primary conflict of the film. He is sort of introduced to the concept of God here in this gigantic interreligious pluralistic city of Delhi, 15 million people live there. And he's like, ah, I can ask God for this thing that I need because he understands that God is the creator of humankind and that you can appeal to God for what you need. So he's like, I will do that. And he discovers very quickly that first of all, he, the prayer does not work the way that he thinks that it should based on what he's hearing and seeing. And that every religion has different understandings of who this God is and how to interact with God that conflict with each other, even though they continue to claim that they have the same God. So there's sort of this like comedy of errors that, that happens, but it's also really um, heartbreaking because he, he so desperately wants to under, he's so sincere in his pursuit of God, partly so that he can return home, which is in a sense what we all want. Right. And partly just because, um, he it it's like an innocent abroad. It's like Morgan Mindy in a sense. Like you're discovering really funny and conflicting and ironic and in some cases tragic things about humanity through the lens of a visitor, and um, that is the primary conflict of the film. Like who is God? Who gets to speak for God? How does prayer work? Why do human beings suffer? because of their religion, which is intended to liberate them from suffering. So it's like really deep. There are some sweet parts and some romantic parts. And I will say that I was getting, it's a long movie. Okay. And I was getting a little frustrated at some point. I was kind of like, okay, Mr. Bean, but it's fast moving. So you couldn't even fast forward. I thought that I could like, you cannot fast forward. So I was getting a little frustrated, but at the end, near the end, 
there is a resolution to some of this, not all of it, that is so moving that um, it makes the whole movie worth it. Like I literally cried. It's, it is romantic and also profound in terms of this conflict that they're trying to resolve through the whole thing. And um, there's a lot of redemption and it's really beautiful. So um, I don't want to spoil anything and I would recommend it. And really what I'm curious about is, um, and Greg, maybe you could, maybe you've thought about this too, is like, what would it look like not to be, whenever you watch a movie like this, you realize how American centric your worldview is like not even just Eurocentric, but like North American centric. Mm -hmm. So this is perhaps the wrong question to be asking, but a lot of times Hollywood steals great narratives from other cultures. So I was curious about like, what would this look like if it were in an American religious context? Yeah. You know, Um, I was thinking about that. I was thinking about that because, you know, the subject matter. So, you know, Liz talks about it. It, it. it is profound. It is romantic. It is like, you know, dancing and like all of that stuff at its core. Like it's a comedy. Like this is a comedy. Like there's no, like it is, it is going for laughs. Most of the, most of the two and a half hour runtime. <laughs> this is a comedy. So I was thinking about that, Liz. I was thinking, is it even possible to do a comedy about religion in America? Because we just, we take these things so seriously. The only sort of comparison that I could even come up with is Dogma by Kevin Smith. And this movie too shows the corruption of religious leaders. That's sort of like the Yes, it does. But as as was pointed out in our class, which I think that you're kind of getting at too, is that when PK is introduced to the concept of God, at no point does he ever sort of think that it's a con. Like right. he fully believes in God and he does so throughout the entire movie. Like he's never brought to this idea that it's not true or not real. Were there musical numbers? Yes, but not that many. Oh, that's probably, well, maybe a mercy. I don't know. <laughs> I, it's, I was sort of glad. And they were, they were all, all the musical numbers like drove the narrative. Like they were, the lyrics were really important. Like you had to pay attention to the subtitles at that point too. And that's cool. Go check it out. Wow. Where, where did you watch it on what or how? On Netflix. Yes, it is. It will not show up on your algorithm. So like if you're scanning like popular on Netflix, it will not be there. You have got to search for it. I now wonder what it does. I was surprised. What does it do to your algorithm after you watch it? (laughs) I know. I haven't looked yet. I probably have some more Bollywood in there. There you go. Um, Because I went to um, Amazon because I just assumed that I could rent it on Prime or something and it's not there. So then I was like, oh, no, where am I going to get it? And thank God it was on Netflix. Hey, hey, good job, guys. So uh, we did it all the way around, right? We did it. Yeah. We went all the way yeah. around. Um, <laughs> I love that we each kind of pulled something from this and that, you know, we may, I may not have, you know, turned Greg into a British procedural show watcher, you know, or or I don't know whether Liz will go watch more Bible films. But I think it just again, like I said, in, in my part, it just kind of opens the door again, because I think I so often get caught up at least 
in my particular case, I'm watching the new, watching the new thing. Let's watch the new thing. And that, that I've even drifted away from movies. And so mm-hmm. the ability to kind of take a moment and, and sit down with a real classic. And I'm like, oh, this is actually, I should give this more of a chance. I'm not kind of giving this the air that it deserves. And so, so yeah, so being able to do that a little bit easier, but, you know, so we encourage all of you listeners out there. Is is there something that is a blind spot for you or something that you would be interested in? You could also do this exercise with people who know you uh, in your friend group, and maybe you all kind of take a moment and assign something to somebody. And, and maybe you get to talk about it the next time you all go out for a drink or have dinner together or whatever that might look like. Um, but, but thank you all for being up for the experiment and giving some time nice. to watch. Yeah. It. This is a great idea, Betsy. I like yeah, it. I really think we fun. should do it again sometime. Yeah. Totally. We should do it again too. Do it again too. And we'll jumble up who gets, who's assigning who, and then we'll get a whole nother window of things going on. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Um, thank you, Liz. Thank you, Greg. Thank you, Ricardo. Uh, you can find this podcast wherever you find all of your podcasts, um, including Episcopal Cafe. We love Episcopal Cafe. We know that you will, too. Um, go to them for all your Episcopal news needs, especially now general conventions coming up. There's a lot of stuff popping off over there. So you can go get in on that and see what Liz and I will be up to this summer. Hey, it's going to be so fun. So and with that, uh, keep those collars popped. Pop, pop. Yes. After talking um, I was at a little things. church on Sunday that has an average Sunday attendance of maybe eight, eight to 10. Ooh. And someone was talking about a religion podcast they listened to. And I was like, I have a religion podcast. And they were like, what? And they all wrote it down. It was really cute. So Crete, Nebraska might just pop up on our um, on like our algorithm or whatever. Nice. Well, and once I make it a part of the dating profile that I just can't seem to finish, who knows? <laughs> Listen to my podcast. No. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> it's a way to drop that I'm a priest without necessarily like and subscribe. That's smart. I gotta tell you, you guys, uh, God bless you. I hope I hope this goes well for you. I can't imagine <laughs> dating in the current kind. Like I just I don't think yeah. I, do I personally don't like it, but I commend it to the others. I've had some weird first dates, I've had some good ones. Once I had a great date with someone that I met on like match or something and he was wonderful. And like, then he like was like, oh, I'll call you. And he like walked me to my car and he hugged me and he was really hot. And then he never did. And so I think he died. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I've got to cut that audio out. And put this- <laughs> you can't. <laughs> you absolutely can't. I'm not embarrassed about that at all. And I'll tell you now. I'm